Our scripture is Ephesians chapter 2, where we'll read only the verses 8 through 10, as we have communion to and don't want to get behind. Ephesians 2, page 1819, beginning the reading at verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These, the very words of God. This we will do this morning. The sermon is about God's covenant with us, his people. I've preached on covenant before, but not here, and not been satisfied that I've been able to preach and teach covenant as good as I'd like. So we're going to try again. <laughs> a different way. And then we're going to end by complimenting you. That will be the fourth point. The first is, I understand covenant from the Bible and creeds and confessions. And then the second is, I understand a couple basics about covenant and then third, a question and answer or two about covenant. And then fourth, a compliment to you, so many of whom are faithful covenant keepers. And of course, we'll have to hurry along. I'll try to. First, I understand covenant from the Bible and confessions. Two Bible books are very much centered around covenant. Exodus, where 20 verse 1 introduces covenant, and sin, salvation, and service are the three sections, and Romans, where we again have the new covenant Jesus mentions explained around sin, salvation, and service. Let me read Exodus 20. 1 and 2, emphasizing these two verses as covenant introduction. And God, that is Elohim, the Mideast common name for God, spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, meaning Jehovah or Yahweh, the specific Hebrew name for God, the God who is and the God who is the covenant-making God, Yahweh. The Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Egypt, slavery, pictured sin slavery. And we, by nature, in New Testament times, are enslaved in sin. Not Egypt anymore but sin. So the words who brought you out of Egypt point to our salvation. 
and then you shall and you shall not. That's the third part of covenant, service. Now, in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, we have another of the so-called very clear Bible texts about covenant. For it is by grace, sometimes covenant is spoken of not only as sin, salvation, and service, but also guilt, grace, and gratitude. Ephesians 2, 8 emphasizes grace. For by grace you have been saved, there's salvation, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, a typical Jewish error, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship. The Greek word there is the word from which we get our English poem and poetry. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that service which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now I hope you've got the point. Uh, there's such a thing as covenant and the way to understand it is sin, salvation, and service, three parts or guilt, grace, gratitude. I'm further convinced that you, who were brought up in the Reformed faith and Reformed doctrine in the Catechism, probably have a lot better intuitive understanding of covenant than most Christians. It's way too easy to fall into works righteousness. I saved myself. I got to do good to help Christ out. I'm diligent, I'm better than my naughty neighbors, I'm not in jail, that sort of thing. That works righteousness is just endemic among Christians. I think you understand better, but I'm going to also spend a little time on that subject of covenant, because I would call covenant the main theme of the Bible. So we'll move on from our first point covenant in the Bible to second, I understand a couple basics about covenant. Now covenant is such a universal category, has been from the beginning of history, still is today, that you do understand it. We usually use the word contract, as in marriage covenants or contracts, employment contracts, business contracts, bank contracts, loan or mortgage contracts, condominium HOAs and POAs, credit card contracts, it's on every credit card statement you get. Last wills and testaments, and I could go on and on. I won't. Some contracts, by the way, are only implied, many of them, especially where you have to pay something written out with date by which you have to pay. Now, here's going to be the hardest thought today. The Hebrew word for covenant was translated into the Latin testamentum. That happened about 2,200 years ago 
when scholars, who knew languages a lot better than we do, by the way, took the Hebrew Old Testament and translated it into Greek. I think I can explain it this way. There are two kinds of covenants. You can call it sovereign to vassal, to use the language the scholars use. Such is the contract with your government in Washington, D.C. If they say pay so much in taxes, you don't have a choice. They're the superior or sovereign. You're the underling. There's another kind of covenant, and that is equal to equal. When you go into a store, grocery store, Walmart, Kmart, I guess there isn't any Kmart anymore, Costco or whatever, they have goods and services, you have money. The exchange you make, goods and services, for money is among equals. Now, if someone breaks that covenant, suppose the store finds someone walking out not paying and the guard catches them. The covenant is broken. Here's why this somewhat in-depth explanation I've given you is important. 2,200 years ago, the language experts in Hebrew and Greek knew there were two words in Greek for covenant. One meant superior to inferior, the other equal to equal. The translators chose on purpose the word for covenant that means superior to inferior. And that's important because in that kind of covenant, if the inferior breaks it, the superior can reestablish. The superior is in charge. It's not a broken, broken covenant. And the Old Testament is filled with promises that God will renew his covenant, Jeremiah 31 and many others. And Jesus, when he came, reestablished a new covenant. In fact, he calls communion, which we're going to do pretty soon, his blood of the new covenant in Luke. Now, that much having been said, we're through the hard part. This I would add next. Remember that the Hebrew word for covenant, translated into Greek, translated into Latin becomes testamentum. Translated into English becomes testament. And so the very name of the two parts of our Bible is shouting out Old Covenant, and new covenant. And we'd better be very clear that old covenant and new covenant are absolutely basic or foundational to what the Bible is all about. That much having been said, a few Christians would say the main point of the Bible's covenant. I'm there. Christ is the maker of the new covenant. Others would say the main point of the Bible is Christ. Okay, I'd never argue the point. But sadly, we sometimes forget the importance and centrality 
of covenant. Now, we can move on. Uh, one question here with my second point, questions and answers about covenant. How shall we understand covenant? Answer, sin, salvation, and service. Let me go through those three parts briefly. First is sin. We are in sin slavery. Some years ago, Carl Menninger, a psychologist, wrote a book, Whatever Became of Sin, because people don't like to admit they're sinners. And we may talk about sin in public life, at least without being scorned at. That doesn't make sin unimportant. And I'm not going to linger on sin. I can't get behind today. Two words for you to remember about you and me as sinners. One of those words is inherit. We inherit characteristics from our ancestors, primarily four generations back, but all the way back to our first parents. And the second word is imputation, which means charging to one's account. Our first parents' sin are charged to the account of their descendants. Now, I talked about that once before. A lot of people don't like imputation. You live with it. Washington, D.C. is imputing stuff to you all the time. I was in the bank the other day, and the loan officer was bewailing to me. We can't get any loans out. The government says 5% inflation. This year, it's going to be at least 10 that's being imputed to you, as well as many, many other things, almost daily decisions out of Washington, D.C. And further, if you don't like imputation through Adam, oh boy, are you in trouble because in imputation through the second Adam, Christ, couldn't happen either. So we'll leave it at that. We are sinners, and we need salvation. What is salvation? Salvation comes through us through God's covenant renewal in Jesus Christ. He's Savior, Christ, and Lord. I've defined those words. I always used to in church school. I think they're very important. Savior means saving from that sin we have inheritance and imputation. Christ means, well, literally anointed one, which doesn't say a lot to us today, really means able one, able to save, just like your car motor is able to exert much horsepower and go many miles per hour that you can't with your feet. Christ is the able one to save. And Lord means boss ruler or master. You're saved, and Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 puts it, by faith. And it's very important to understand faith because way too many people think of faith as something like, well, I believe God exists, and you don't see any other evidence of it. That's so sad. Every false religion believes 
God exists. Now the reformers gave us an excellent definition of faith in three words, knowledge, assent, and trust. Knowledge is basic Bible knowledge. None of us will understand the whole Bible. This is almost number 6,000 sermon for me in my 50-year career. And every time I look at the Bible, it's like looking at one pail of water in the Pacific Ocean. There's so much more. We need to know Bible basics. We need to assent to them. That was the second word, agree to them, the reformers gave us. And then the third word is trust God for salvation. Now, if you think carefully a minute, the demons know the Bible probably better than we do. They assent to Christ as Savior, but they don't trust for salvation. That third word is in many ways the all-important word. For some of you, trust is going to be difficult, especially any of you females who have been abused when young. I understand that. It's awful hard to not trust men and still trust God. And if you grew up in a home where discipline is inconsistent, it can be hard to trust God. But all I can say, and I will, since this is a short sermon, I hope, God is trustworthy. Even if your very own parents failed you, girls, your God is trustworthy. That's faith. And if we, Romans 9 and 10 tells us, believe in our heart and confess with our lips. You do that in church. We love the church. We become church members. Christ loved the church, and so do we. If you try to say, I'm a Christian, but care nothing for the church, you're telling a lie. You don't love what Christ loves, meaning you don't love Christ. That's salvation. Now, the third part, service. Sin, salvation, service. Covenant includes service. In Exodus 21 through 3, it's you shall and you shall not. In Ephesians 2.10, it's we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. It's at this point that I'd like to move in a direction different maybe from some sermons, and it'll be my fourth point. It's complimenting so many of you on being such faithful servants. I'm going to say something I've said before, at least my notes say I told you before, and I briefly referred to it last week, made a deep impression on me and then I'm going to extend it from my family to yours. My father, on his 90th birthday, stood in front of the strobe lights for a local television program in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and told them about their history all the way back to days before 
the 1930s and all that the 30s meant by way of drought, poverty, and all the rest. And after Dad had looked at the strobe lights and spoken for an hour and a half, and I had kept my mouth shut, this wasn't about me, Dad started crying and said, but I failed so often. And in my mind went through working nine hours a day at Sunderman's, milking cows after work, farming on the side, term as deacon and repeated terms as elders, president of the school board, et cetera, et cetera. I don't understand how one man had that much energy. And at that point, my eyes teared up and I said, Dad, you weren't perfect. Mom knows it, we all know it. But you were faithful. And that's the most important virtue in covenant faithfulness. If I were to read that communion form over and ask you to note all the times that that word faithful is used, you would notice a lot. If I were to tell you about former church members who were unfaithful, it ruined the sermon, it would be so sad. But every church has its faithful ones, probably more faithful ones than unfaithful ones. And this church, too, has its faithful ones. And all or most of you are faithful in covenant, perhaps in part because you know your Bibles and in part because you were taught what covenant is and part because you are just plain faithful. Now I have to make, oh, I do have a couple minutes yet. I have to make a distinction or two here. We do not strive for perfection. Don't be a perfectionist. What we strive for is excellence in covenant. And there's a big difference between perfectionism and excellence. You do not keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. The Ten Commandments are the best Bible summary of how to be covenant, faithful people. And many of you excel in that kind of excellence. Think, for example, of piano. Piano. We begin with one finger, then two, then three, then four, then two hands, scales, chords, rhythm, temples, sharps and flats, all the way up to expertise. Good pianists are working toward excellence. Or think toward and of golf. If a golfer gets down to a four handicap game, that puts that golfer in the top 1% of golfers in America. If a golfer's advanced to a zero handicap, that makes them among the world's greatest. God's covenant people, like piano students and like golfers, strive for excellence. And I sure hope I got that through to my dad when I said to him, Dad, you weren't perfect, but you were faithful. And now I'm going to compliment 
you for the same. You're not my dad, of course, biologically, but most or all of you are the same kind of people he was. Here's the kind of people you are, covenant faithful people striving toward excellence. Listen, your faith is not only in your heart, but it also bears fruit in your lives. You affirm Jesus as your savior, and as we said, that means savior from sin, and Christ able to do it, but also as your Lord, ruler of your life, and that sets you apart from many other so-called Christians. You love God above all, and don't just try to use God. That's you. And we pastors had better call what's right, right, as well as what's wrong, wrong. And right now I'm calling what's right, right, describing you. You are people who believe faith alone saves, but that faith that saves is never alone. That's a quotation from John Calvin, refuting Rome, who said to Calvin, salvation by faith means people will live dissolute lives. Calvin said, no. Though faith alone saves, faith is never alone. That's you too. You reject easy believism, which so many so-called Christians have. They believe God exists, as I've already said. You don't see them in church very often, if ever. You reject easy believism for faithful following. Some of you may know it was Martin Niemöller and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany in World War II days. Adolf Hitler, understand most, most Christians were Christians with lip service only, 99% plus in Germany. But there were exceptions. Niemöller was put in prison because his life went along with his lip service. Bonhoeffer grieved at how the church in Germany simply kowtowed to Hitler and paid for his beliefs with his life. Further, this is you. You have faith and are faithful. You talk your walk and walk your talk. You say what you mean and mean what you say. If you make vows, you keep your vows. You have faith in good times and also in bad times. You have faith in the light of day and also the dark of night. You have fair weather faith, but also foul weather faith. I'll end the list there. I think you've got the point. God bless you, my dear friends, for being faithful. And if you start noticing in your Bible, you'll notice the word faithful over and over. A good manager must be found faithful. Jesus said, judgment judges people as good and faithful servants. On and on. And now God's covenant people, you, 
who know you were born in sin and are saved by grace through true faith and are living in covenant with God, you God's covenant faithful people. Let's now proceed to what Jesus called the sign of the new covenant, Holy Communion, which we partake of, as our sign says, in remembrance of remembering the salvation that he merited for us. Let's pray. Our God and Father in heaven, my prayer is that this so important Bible theme of covenant and so misunderstood may come through clearly today in the way that we've explained it. And this people will go forward from this time on being covenant faithful as so many of them already are and continuing faithful in their covenant with you. For Jesus' sake, amen. We now proceed to Holy Communion, and I have in front of me the communion formulary, the short one that your council has approved for use besides those in the hymnals. Please hear it carefully. To all of you who have